December 5th, 2019. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and all state insurance in Rochester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Hey, Chet, the Eagles put themselves behind the eight ball by losing to the Dolphins. The Flyers are on fire with five straight wins and points in seven straight. The Sixers are just as hot, winning four in a row and eight of the last nine. And on top of that, the Phillies didn't get Cole Hamels, but have made their first big free agent splash, signing Zach Wheeler. Yeah, we'll talk about the Wheeler signing and the other Phillies moves in a bit. The Flyers and Sixers are indeed looking quite good right now, Bill. And then there's the Eagles, who we thought would be Super Bowl contenders this year, but right now are looking like the worst of the four Philly pro teams all of a sudden. Yikes. I know you were there in Miami on Sunday. Meanwhile, I'm still not really over that game. Well, uh, neither is anybody else, it doesn't sound like. Uh, I've seen more things about guys getting fired, guys getting cut, guys being all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, the, the Philly faithful certainly took this one to heart probably more than any of them. This, they let one get away, no doubt. Oh, yeah. I mean, because we all had that one pending as a, a W. You know, you go down there, you know they're not a great team. I have more to say about this later, but, yeah, just very frustrating loss. So let's try to move on, but I know we still have to discuss it. Well, absolutely we do. But we, we've got a great guest tonight uh, in the radio voice of the Sixers, Tom McGinnis, who we'll get to in the second half of the show. But, yet, you know what, I'm not going to let you off the hook. we got to talk about the disaster in Miami, and as I said, to say the least, the fans aren't happy. Um, so much said. Um, where do you want to start? I mean, let, let's just <laughs> let's start with blowing a 28-14 lead, and how did that happen? Well, I mean, yeah, it was just so so bad. Even though the Birds have had a disappointing season, as I said, 99% of us, I think, thought the game against the Dolphins was pretty close to an automatic W. I know you say there are no gimmies in the NFL, but come on, Miami was tanking at much of this season. They traded away two or three key assets for draft picks, and they were 2-9 and nine after all, for crying out loud. Then not only did the Birds blow a two-touchdown second-half lead to these guys, but the defense had probably its worst game of the year. And then Doug Peterson said after the game twice, that's a good team over there. No, it's not. It was a 2-9 and nine team, and you and Jim Schwartz failed to make the needed adjustments to beat that not-very-good team. So... Yeah, you're, you're darn right, Bill. The fans are unhappy this week. And, you know, Bill, I know you saw this. Among the unhappy was seven-year-old Jenny. They are stinking this season. <laughs> they are. Well, I'll tell you what, Chad. There, there's so many plays to talk about in this game. Um, and, and I heard the Peterson press conference. You certainly took it a little differently than I did. Uh, I saw the Schwartz uh, press conference the other day. I thought that was interesting as well. Uh, but a couple plays early in the game, uh, we certainly aren't going to blame the referees. But uh, And you got to see him in replay, and I didn't. But the Eagles had a 10 nothing lead, got the ball, driving again. They were about to put this game out of contention in the first five minutes of the game. And they get back-to-back 15-yard penalties, uh, or offensive penalties, for a block in the back. 
and one for a whole. Now, I will tell you, you, you might have seen them. Maybe I'm out of line here. But I can tell you from sitting where I was, where I got to see the back judge, 20 yards down the field, throwing flags far, far away from the play into the end of the play, and that was troubling. Yeah, I don't remember the specific plays, but I know on the one I didn't agree with, and I forget exactly which one that was. But, I mean, yeah, even beyond that, there were just a lot of penalties, and it hasn't been every game this year, but there have been a lot of games like that where there have been, you know, 8, 10, 12 penalties, many of them justified. And, you know, some of them just dumb. dumb. Like the, the Mac Hollins one, I don't know if that was the one you're referring to. Well, but, that's, one, uh, that's one of the two. Yep, that's one I of the two. I thought it might have been. I thought it might. Yeah, that was borderline, but you just got to be careful in those situations. I mean, it, it wiped out a huge gain, and uh, just you hate to see that. Well, and I, I'll tell you, this is funny because the guys I was with, some of them were Dolphins fans. Um, they said to me at halftime, as we're sitting there, he says, "Well, the uh, the league has the Dolphins and the points." It was. <laughs> it, it seemed evident to us sitting there that they they tried to keep this thing close. And not only did they keep it close, they took the momentum out of the game. No excuse. I mean, it's not an excuse because the Eagles had to win that game. They were up by two touchdowns in the second half. But that game could have been put away mighty, mighty early. Yeah, it could have. And then in the second half, you know, they go up 28-14. to 14, And I think not counting that kneel down at the end of the half, the Dolphins had end up scoring on five consecutive drives, touchdowns, and then a field goal after that. So – uh, to Jim Schwartz's credit, he he said this one was on the defense. And, yeah, you're darn right it was. You're giving up 37 points to the Dolphins. Yeah, it's on the defense. Well, and, and you know, I think something that was said by Peterson that was taken out of uh, context is he when he was said, well, we got beat on plays or whatever, he, he however he worded it. I think what he was trying to say is it's no different than it got two guys go up for a rebound in a basketball game. The one guy gets it, one guy does it. Well, the, the guy that didn't got beat. And I think that's what he was trying to say, is we had players in position to make plays, Darby and Mills, and they didn't make them. And Schwartz's comment yesterday was that, yeah, we ran the exact same defense that we ran the last four weeks when we had these guys. We gave up 13, 14, 17, and 17 points. And we did exactly the same thing, except this time Devontae Parker looked like Jerry Rice, and he <laughs> beat Darby and Mills, and that was the difference in the ball game. Defensively, strategy-wise, they didn't do anything differently on those long plays. It's funny you said that. I was going to say that exact same thing. They made Devontae Parker look like Jerry Rice. I mean, this guy has not had a great career. They thought he might have potential, but he's done nothing special. But he did. He looked like an all-pro against the Eagles last Sunday. I just don't get it. And you're getting back to Peterson. Yeah, we both saw that uh, news conference a little differently the other day. I was highly critical of him. You thought he handled it pretty well. And then again today, he has a news conference, you know, the Thursday news conference that he does. And somebody asks about you know, what's the message to the team right now? And this is what Doug said. The main message is, listen, we're, we're in a, we're in a must, must win situation. We know that. And, and really it started last week, you know, and, and really coming out of the bye, if you want to think about it, and go back, back a few weeks. Okay. So it was a must win in his mind, the way he said it there the last three weeks. I think their record the last three weeks is 0-3. So, so far these must win situations that he's telling the team in his message, they haven't turned out so well. They better realize now that it is a must-win because 
they can't count on the Cowboys to lose every single week. Well, that, and that's right, and that's right. And I know he's challenged his leadership to do more uh, and all that. I, I get all that. But I, I think what my, my take back to the first Peterson interview was that he told you more in 10 minutes than you heard from Andy Reid and Chip Kelly, well, Andy Reid, in 15 years. Uh, I thought he was honest. Um, he, didn't, he, he spread the blame. Coaches didn't do some things. Uh, players certainly didn't do some things, and he called them out, not by name, but if you were watching the game, you knew who he was talking about. Um, I, I thought in in a coach's world, he did more than I believe I've ever seen a coach in Philadelphia do. Well, yeah, he did say a lot, but again, I, I saw it a little differently from you, but it, it all comes back to the players, and yeah, Schwartz is right. The, the defense didn't make the plays that they had made more often than not in the previous few games, and Zach Ertz, The one that Eric Rowe knocked away from him, you got to give Rowe credit on that one. He did knock it out of his hand at the last second. That one's not so much on Ertz. But the other one that he was, uh, you know, about to take in the end zone when he caught it or was about to catch it around the five-yard line, he just dropped that one. And that's not like Zach Ertz. So, you know, he took the blame for that one, understandably. And those are the kind of plays you have to make in these so-called must-win games. So, boy, you know, there's four games left, and they pretty much have to win all four. Uh, depending on what Dallas does. And, you know, I'm not going to get excited about their playoff chances, even if they somehow do get in. But you do want to see it go, you know, down to the final week at least. You know, keep hope alive because you never know what can happen. So hopefully they will finally get it together this Monday night against the Giants. Well, yeah, and, and you know, the Ertz thing, I, I texted it as soon as it happened. I said, those are the kind of plays that cost you ball games. At the time, the Eagles were in a fat situation. They score there, again, they have a chance to put the game away. They don't score, then they miss the field goal. So yeah. whether and, and then the Dolphins go down and score, so you have a 14-point swing or a 10-point swing, whichever way you want to go, and now all of a sudden the momentum has changed again. The players has to make that play. The field goal has to be made. It's, it was still a relatively easy field goal. And then Jason Peters caused some points, because he doesn't stay on sides. And, and, you know, you can't blame the coach for a 15-year Pro Bowl Hall of Fame tackle jumping off sides. That's on the player. Yeah, and you know what? I think a couple other times he moved prematurely and they didn't even call it. So, yeah, Peters did not have a good game, and it's pretty obvious he's winding down, and this is his last season. We are not going to see Jason Peters next year. I mean, I thought that maybe a year or two previously, too, but there's no way they're bringing Jason Peters back. So it's going to be time to move on from him. Uh, hopefully Zach Ertz got that one bad game out of his system. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm optimistic for this coming game against the Giants. Beyond that, I don't know, because they should, of course, beat the Redskins. They should beat the Giants the other time. And there's that Dallas game in the middle. But, I mean, the approach they're taking is the one I'm going to take. Just going to take it game by game, hope they get a win, and hope that they keep their chances alive. That's all you can do. Well, yeah, win the week. That, that's all you can do. And uh, the Giants are going to come in here with Eli Manning as their quarterback. That'll be interesting as well. Uh, Eagles have fared pretty well against Manning. Giants aren't very good, but, it, but it's a different look. And uh, does Manning come in energized for Monday Night Football, or does he come in and, uh, you know, they spank him around? 
I'm not overly worried about Eli Manning, but from what I understand from what some of the analysts I've heard, it's going to mean we're going to see more of Saquon Barkley because Manning likes to hand off to Barkley a lot, and he likes to throw little swing passes to Saquon Barkley. So I'm sure the Eagles will watch out for that one. Uh, And speaking of quarterbacks, Bill, I don't know if you heard, but Michael Vick last week said in a TV interview that Carson Wentz will fail in Philadelphia. He does not sound optimistic at all about Wentz handling the whole, uh, you know, Philadelphia situation. So what do you think of that? Well, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, where, where does, where does Vic get his information from? You, you have Orlovsky uh, for the second straight, straight week saying, catch the ball. This is not on the quarterback. You know, Dan, Dan was a pro quarterback as well so you know I, I, is it just an observation or is there some merit to that that comment i guess you know i thought wentz actually had a pretty good game this past week uh he, yeah he made maybe two or three bad throws maybe once or twice hung on to the ball too long but beyond that he made some real nice throws too and uh i thought he played pretty well and when you're putting up 31 points against anybody as jim schwartz admitted you know you should win that game so I thought Wentz and the offense handled things pretty well and did pretty well, although I'm still a little bit mystified by the run-pass ratio. It was, what, what, 46 passes, 18 runs. I know Jordan Howard is still out injured, but Sanders looked pretty good, I thought, running the ball. I still think they should have run a little more than 18 times. Well, I do too. Uh, they were at almost five yards a carry with Miles Sanders doing yeah. most of the work. Uh, I do too, but we know. Doug's personality, especially when he falls behind, he's going to throw the ball. And, you know, that that short passing game is almost like an extension of the run game in a lot of these coaches' minds these days. So, um, you know, I, I think I think that's where a lot of that comes from. Could they have continued to get four, 4.8 yards of carry? Um, you, you, know, you don't know. But Miles Sanders certainly looked pretty good. And, and the offense did look good. And I thought Wentz played – fairly well too he didn't didn't make a whole lot of mistakes didn't uh you know didn't hold the ball onto the ball a whole lot and uh you know he missed a little swing pass that probably wasn't gaining a whole lot of yardage anyway there were a couple misses and it's certainly nice to have Alshon Jeffrey back in the game when he's catching the football yeah Jeffrey did look a lot better for sure so uh that was good to see hopefully uh you know they'll keep it going and maybe do even better this coming week and uh, I know Zach Ertz wasn't 100%. Hopefully he will be 100% this week. I don't know if that was playing on his mind and maybe, you know, he was thinking about it when he had the, the one crucial drop. Um, we'll see. But uh, got to win this game. We know that. Yeah. One, one other comment I'll make on the defense and, and on the team as a whole. Nigel Bradham was not very good. But I will tell you this. Nigel Bradham limped around that field the whole entire game. Um uh, whether he came back a little too early uh, just to try to play, I don't know. Um, whether, whether he maybe was a little bit out of shape because he missed a handful of games, maybe that was it. But he wasn't—he wasn't really fully healthy. It didn't look like, and and he played like it. He's a better player than that, but it sure hurt them. Yeah, yeah, and I did see him limping. So uh, hopefully, another you know week between games will help him. That's enough Eagles talk. Let's talk a little baseball, Bill. Well, let's talk Phillies, Jeff. Cesar Hernandez and Mikel Franco are gone. Cole Hamels isn't coming. But right-handed starter Zach Wheeler has arrived for a mere 
$118 million, Chet, for his 44 career wins. Is this a good start to free agency for the Phils? Uh, we know they need a bunch of pitching. Well, the question is, is Wheeler an upgrade over fill-in-the-blank? Well, the answer is yes. He is an upgrade over any of the Phillies starters not named Aaron Nola. So it's a good signing. Did they overpay, giving him a five-year, $118 million contract? Very likely. But unfortunately, it's just the way it is in baseball these days. There, these days. there are very few available quality starters out there, and you're going to have to pay a premium to get one. And in some people's minds, he was the second or third best pitcher out there behind Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg. So, uh, yeah, they had to do something, and they may not be able to afford Garrett Cole. There's talk about the you know, luxury tax. They don't want to go over that. So we do know they need another starter, not to mention at least a couple of position players. So there's certainly going to be more moves. Stay tuned. But I do like the Wheeler edition. Well, I do too, only because, like you said, there's there's not a whole lot of uh, places to go. And, and in his three full seasons that he's been able to pitch yet, where he's had 32, 29, and 31 starts, uh, he's won 11, he's won 12, he's won 11. His ERA has been under four in all of those years. Um, that actually is, is good pitching these days. Yeah, and he can throw 96, 97 miles an hour, so he, he's you know got a good arm, even though he had the Tommy John surgery a few years back. He's had two injuries you know, over the years. you got to keep that in mind. He had the Tommy John thing, and he also had some shoulder problem, I believe. But uh, hopefully he's 100% healthy and uh, can give them you know, 180, 200 innings. I don't think he's pitched over 200, because the Mets were always careful about that with him. So they'll have to keep an eye on that. And uh, I forget the guy's name, but uh, one of the most important guys the Phillies added over the past month was a new pitching coach because we know they need someone who can help this pitching staff. Well, absolutely. And let's talk about position players. Cesar Hernandez, uh, I'm, I'm a little surprised that he didn't get a contract, or at least they didn't trade him and move him some other way than release him. Uh, but it looks like that opens second base for Scott Kingry. Third base is now a hole with Mikel Franco uh, gone. Uh, Alex Baum's name keeps coming up, and I, I for one, am heading the charge on that. I want to see Baum get every chance in spring training to make the team. Um, where do you see this going? I, I think there's going to be more more moves. I think O'Double certainly is going to go, um, and they still need pitching. Well, they're talking about uh, going after the Yankee shortstop. Um, they're talking about maybe trying to trade Segura. They have apparently looked into that because – Apparently, he's not the greatest guy in the clubhouse. And he had a couple of issues this past year with, uh, you know, the laziness, not running balls out. So I think if they could get someone to take on Segura and his salary, they would do it in a heartbeat. But if not, he'll still be around. And there was also talk of moving him to either second or third for whatever reason, I guess, if they got the Yankee shortstop, uh, DeGuerres. Um, you got to think Kingry is targeted for second base, though. So I think it's time to put him in a position and keep him there. I don't know if Baum or Bohm is going to be ready, and I think because of the whole contract situation, they might want to hold him off until June. So just use somebody else for a couple of months until uh, June when they can you know, have his rights for another year, I guess. Uh, we'll see, but there's, there's a lot that's got to happen between now and February with the infielders, with you know possibly another outfielder, because they're still talking about getting the center fielder, knowing that – uh, McCutcheon probably can't play every day in center. So, boy, it's going to be a very interesting uh, next couple of months. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, I kind of uh, 
talking back at Baum again, uh, you know, the I, I kind of look at what the Flyers are doing, and we'll get to that a little bit too, but they're playing these kids. And, you know, for years we've held these guys back, and we said we got to wait for them to be ready, blah, blah, blah. Line them up and let's go. Yeah, and it'll be here before we know it. I mean, it's it's December already. I don't know how that happened. And before you know it, it'll be mid-February, and uh, people will be heading down to Clearwater. You know it. Well, hey, Chet, we'll be certainly talking a whole lot more about the Phillies as we go. And uh, But it's the holiday season, and we need to know what's going on at the Irish Rover Station House. Yes, we do. It is December, like you said, Bill, and you're probably running around shopping and doing other stuff ahead of the holidays, but here's my advice. Take a break from all of that and make a stop at the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn. They have an amazing menu from burgers and wings to fancy dinners and always 24 beers on tap. Lunch, dinner, happy hour specials, too. Also, they have a DJ every Friday night and live music on Saturday nights. This weekend, Saturday night, the 7th, it's the band Five Shades of Grey. And mark your calendar for Thursday, December 19th, the Rovers' annual Ugly Sweater Party. I'll be there. Feel free to make fun of my sweater. The Irish Rovers on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. Hi, football fans. This is Merrill Reese, and you're listening to Bill and Chet on Philly Press Box Radio. It's good! Hey, Chet, I have to ask you, for the Ugly Sweater Contest, are you going to wear that sweater that you sent me the picture of? I'm just asking for a friend. I think I am, yes. I'm not going to give you the full details, our listeners, but uh, it is an Eagles-related sweater, and yes, it does have little lights on it, and I think it's beautiful. (laughs) <laughs> well, I tell you, you said you could come by and laugh, and you know what? If you're going to wear that, it will be well worth <laughs> the ride up to the Irish Rover to get a laugh. Bring it on. December 19th, <laughs> I'll be there at the Rover. All right. Hey, Chad, Flyers now in third place in the Metropolitan with 37 points. They're actually fourth in the entire East in points. And, you know, just last Tuesday I said the Flyers need to score some goals since they were sitting at plus zero the exact same amount of goals for versus goals against. Eight days later, they're plus 12. That's a great week. They had a fantastic November, Bill. 10, 2, and 4. One of their best in many years, in fact. Nine of those 16 games went longer than 60 minutes, by the way. And they're off to a positive start in November with that win over Toronto Tuesday night where they just filled the net over the last five minutes of the game. They've won four in a row now and have gotten points in six of their last seven games. The goaltending has been just fine. Uh, they will be without Michael Raffle now for a while, and they're still without Nolan Patrick. But otherwise, all is very well with this team, Bill. Yeah, absolutely. And, hey, what would you have thought if we were sitting here 28 games in and we said the leading goal scorer was going to be Oscar Lindblom, his second is going to be Travis Konechny, and the first team leader in points is Travis Konechny. Who would have thought that? Yeah, well, Konechny's looking uh, real good. He's maturing and uh, looks like a real player. Lindblom got off to the hot start, but he's cooled a bit lately. Uh, so was Morgan Frost, for that matter. He got the empty netter, I guess. The other, No, that was Faraby. No, uh, yeah, Frost, Frost, yeah, Frost has cooled off quite a bit. Oh, speaking of Faraby, uh, I don't know if you saw, I was at the uh, WMMR, Preston and Steve, camp out for Hungary yesterday, and James Van Riemsdyk, Joel Faraby, 
and Kevin Hayes were there. And afterward, I, I said hello briefly to Farabee and took a, a selfie with him. You can see my double or triple chin. And uh, I, I realized that I am more than three times his age. And I also realized the sweatshirt that I was wearing at the time was just as old as him. It was like an 18- or 19-year-old sweatshirt. So he's just a kid. He looks so young, but he's good. He's good. I hope he uh, you know, has a great year and a great future. Well, a load of young kids uh, on this team, as, as we said earlier. And I tell you, it still comes down in my mind that Carter Hart gives them a chance to win every single night. And not to take anything away from Brian Elliott, but in that game the other night against Toronto – that's a 1-1 one, one game, or 2-1 game, 1-1 uh, game, with 10 minutes to go before the Flyers erupt for five goals in the last uh, 10 minutes. But Carter Hart was standing on his head in that game, and that's the only reason they were still there. Yeah, I did watch most of it, and uh, the one goal he allowed was kind of a fluky goal. And you thought, oh, no, he lets in the fluky goal, and now it's going to go to overtime or whatever. But, no, you're right. The Flyers got the go-ahead goal, and then, you know, four goals in the last couple of minutes. It was crazy. Um, yeah, Hart is obviously very good. But, yeah, you mentioned Brian Elliott. He's, he's done a fine job, too. And I heard Vigneault um, on with Mike Missinelli yesterday. And, boy, I like this guy as a coach. He, he is not afraid to, you know, say what has to be said sometimes publicly, sometimes behind doors. And he was also asked about the goaltending situation. He said, yeah, they're both going to play, but he's you know, got to uh, figure out the matchups and the schedule, you know, when there's back-to-backs. But it sounds to me like they're both going to get the playing time, but you've got to think Hart's going to get you know, probably two-thirds of it. He didn't say that, but that's my take on it. Uh, he wants to keep Elliott fresh, and they've both been very, very good. Yeah, they have. And if you look at their games played now, of course, there's some substitutions in there, so it doesn't equal 28. But Carter Hart's played in 18. Brian Elliott's played in 14. Uh, Carter Hart, 9-5-3. and three. Elliott, 7-2-2. Two and two. And combined 2.64 goals against that is really solid. It's a whole lot better than last year, Bill, when they used seven or eight different goalies. Yeah, well, and like I say, I, I think Hart, Hart gives them a chance to win. Every night, and uh, as long as he can do that, I think the goal the goal scoring is going to come around. It's starting to come around a little bit. Bam Reams Dyke is certainly going to get better. Uh, I believe he'll score some more goals. Vortex playing better since he got called out, uh, and and Giroux is still solid like he always is as well. Yeah, uh, boy, I hope they can you know do some damage and make a run. Because as much as people like to criticize Giroux, the guy does play hard. He does want to win. And I want to see them, you know, make a run while he is still a quality player. And he is. He's still, what, only 30 or something like that? So, yep. uh, yeah, let's, uh, you know, the funny thing is, Bill, if we talked last March, we said probably the Eagles, the Sixers, and the Phillies were closer to winning another championship than the Flyers. Right now, the Flyers might have the best shot of the four. I guess the Sixers would be right there with them. But, boy, goaltending is so important in hockey. The Flyers might be as close as any of those other three Philly teams. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And as far as Giroux, Chet, you know I'm a, I'm a Giroux fan. But yep. Giroux's a Hall of Famer. You, you know that. He's a Hall of Famer. Well, yeah, the numbers say he is. I mean, he's, uh, he's right there in the top five with you know the guys over the last ten years. Uh, certainly one of the best of his generation. So 
he will certainly be a strong consideration for the Hall. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they're going to be fun to watch. And, and you know what's even more fun, Chet, is you have been watching hockey through the month of November. <laughs> and uh, you're going to be really excited come January and February. I hope so. I hope they keep winning. Uh, they really only had one little bad stretch about a month ago. And otherwise, they've been solid all year. The record will attest to that, of course. Yeah. Hey, one one final comment on the Flyers. What would you think of Matt Niskanen? He, you know what? Hockey guys are just, <laughs> just cool guys, man. 15, 15 right in the kisser and uh, stitch him up, put a, put a, a cage on him, and uh, he's uh, it's not as bad as it looks. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a hockey player for you. And they asked him after the game how it felt. He says, I don't know, I can't feel it because they numbed it. So, yeah, and, you know, that, that, that's a hockey player. They don't miss a beat. Well, the fun to watch. It's been a great week. They're on the ice again tonight. Hopefully keep this thing going. So uh, tune in. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, hey, Chet, did you know that 56% of Americans have no idea how much they'll need to retire? If that sounds like you, you need to talk to Dave LaVoy from Allstate and Westchester, PA. Yep, the same person you count on to help protect you can also help you set a reasonable retirement goal and then show you the right financial solutions to help get you there. A good plan and a good life starts with someone you trust. Call Allstate agent Dave LaVoy in Westchester, Pennsylvania, 610-430-0700, and start planning for your retirement today. Again, the number is 610-430-0700. Give Dave a call. And, you know, Bill, it was exactly 50 years ago today, 50 years ago that the album Let It Bleed by the Rolling Stones came out. So we heard Gimme Shelter for the very first time 50 years ago this week. Mm-hmm. That's a that's the heavy stuff there now. Well, hey, Chet, Sixers are on a roll, as we said. Uh, they're still not necessarily pretty every night, but they are rolling, and they're winning winning ball games. Yeah, some of the games against inferior competition, like two games against the Knicks recently, were way closer than they should have been. Went down to the wire, but they did get the wins. That's the important thing. They're within a half game of second place in the Eastern Conference as we speak. So they still have some work to do as they continue to get used to playing with one another. But, hey, 15-6 and six is 15-6. and six. That ain't bad. That is not bad. And, hey, you had a chance to sit down with the radio voice of the Sixers, Tom McGinnis, to talk about this team. Of course, the Sixers are playing tonight, so we had to record this interview. But we certainly appreciate Tom taking the time to join us, especially in the, right in the middle of the season. Yeah, Tom is calling the Sixers game against the not-real-good 6-13 and 13 Wizards down at Capital One Arena, so he is a bit busy. But we did have a very nice 10- or 11-minute chat ahead of time, and as you'd expect, we got some great insight from Tom. And I forgot to mention this to him when I talked to him because I didn't realize it, to be honest. This is his 25th year behind the Sixers mic, so happy 25th, Tom. You do a great job. Here is our chat. Great to talk to this guy once again on Philly Press Box Radio. You know him from his work as the radio voice of the 76ers, Tom McGinnis. Tom, welcome. Thank you, Chet. Thanks for having me. Hey, Tom, the Sixers just passed the quarter point of the season. They're 15-6 and six through 21 games, having won eight of their last nine. What have we learned about Brett Brown's team through the first quarter of the season? Well, I think coming in, everybody was talking about 
you know, how big the Sixers are. And that's been a constant. The lineup among the starters is the tallest in the NBA. And that leads to solid defense and great rebounding. And those have been staples as we speak. The Sixers, you know, won their most recent game by holding a good Utah team under 100 points. They've done that a number of times that I believe are undefeated in games like that. They own the best defensive rebounding percentage in the NBA. And, you know, they've been a lot of close games, and they've been able to close out a lot of close games, particularly at home. And being undefeated at home is pretty good, 10-0. and 0. And, you know, let a game, a few games slip away. They had a real uh, kind of a brutal road schedule early on. You know, lost some games out there that they should have won and probably won the game in Portland where maybe that could have gotten away. But all in all, to be 15-6 and six at this stage is not bad with Brett Brown looking toward the end of the calendar year for things to kind of come together. And part of his mantra has been the statement that time trumps talent. They have a lot of talent, but the team needs to play together because due to this, that, and the other with injuries and suspensions and whatever, they haven't played together. I believe less than 10 games as a starting group the first five. Well, since that hard-to-believe scoreless game from Joel Embiid early last week, their lone loss in the last nine games, he certainly played much better. There were some views put out there last week by Mike Sealski and others that Embiid is still not in the shape that he needs to be in. You watch him every night. What's your assessment of Embiid's stamina and his game overall? Well, I mean, you look back at these games, maybe not against Rudy Gobert, where others control the scoring. Tobias Harris really scored in bunches down the stretch with 10 points. But to your point, Chad, after that game against the Raptors, in those three games afterward, he was dominant. So, you know, I think the biggest thing with Embiid is how he's handling traps, because now the double teams are almost a nightly part of the defensive repertoire, if you will, against the Sixers. And how he handles that is really important because – Turnovers have been an issue over the years. And, you know, what, when teams do that, you've got to be able to move the ball and punish them for putting two players on one, swinging the ball to the opposite side and getting an advantage. And they've done that. When you go back and look at the New York game, and the Sixers swung that ball and Ennis got three, third quarter three. That's all initiated by Embiid handling that double team. So as far as his conditioning and whatnot, it's hard to say. It looks like he's, he's doing pretty well by me, and he's a dominant player. And so, you know, He's healthy and able to keep getting out there and producing. He's without question one of the most talented players in the NBA. Al Horford, of course, a new addition this year. He's a veteran. He's a leader. How big a plus has he been for this otherwise pretty young Sixers team? Yeah, he's great. I just I can't believe he's a Sixer, honestly, to watch him in Boston over the last three years and how effective he was against the Sixers. And now he's reigning in threes and making plays around the basket for us. It's a neat thing. I joke when they sign him, the Sixers win two more games a year just because he's on the Sixers. But at 33, he's a steadying force. And Brett Brown uses the phrase about quarterbacking the gym. And oftentimes it's reading a defense and moving the ball to where it needs to go. And Horford's a big part of that. And, uh, you know, he's learning, too. He's adapting to a new program, a new team, and he's saying he's beginning to find where he's going to get his spots. And what I like is because he's 6'10 and because he's been around the block, this is his 13th year, he knows who he can score on, how he's going to score on them, and you just watch him go to work and he does it, which is pretty amazing. And he's a really high-character person, and, and he's a great leader, and so he's been a tremendous asset for the team. It's nice to see the Sixers with a rookie who's healthy and a contributor this year in Matisse Thibel. We knew he was an excellent defender, but he's really shot the ball very well of late, including three-pointers now. Absolutely, and uh, I spoke to him after the game when the Sixers played and defeated Utah on Monday, and, you know, he was saying, you know, see a three, shoot a three. And that's kind of a mentality that you have to have, be aggressive. And, again, he's, he's been open a lot, and he's in good positions when he catches the ball, in other words, ready to shoot. 
And I think early on, Chet, he, he struggled a little bit in finishing, and it was really almost like a quirk in confidence where he missed a few reverse layups, and, you know, that gets in your head a little bit. And now I think he's grown out of that. So, yeah, if he could be, like, consi- any coach wants consistency and kind of knowing what they're going to get on a given night from a player. And if he could be, say, the seventh or eighth man and, and come in and give consistent minutes and play whatever it is, 18, 24 minutes a game, and be, again, lockdown defender in this league is, is hard to quantify because the players are so good. But a player that you can put on Donovan Mitchell or whomever it might be, Walker, Tatum, and know that you're going to have your best shot available at the front-line defense where he's going to be able to keep the guy in front of him is a huge asset. And then, oh, by the way, he steals the ball. He gets a number of deflections. And hes I think he's only going to get better. He's a great kid. He's also learning. But, again, a player that played four years in college, which I think could be really advantageous with the team. And you don't see it too often where a young player comes in and makes an impact with a team that has such high aspirations and talent like the Sixers. But it looks like Thibault's going to be in that spot going forward and has been so far. Another guy who's improved his shooting of late, he had the 0 for 23 from 3 a few weeks back, Tobias Harris. I mean, he was the man Monday night in the fourth quarter in the win over the Jazz. What's changed for Harris in the last couple of weeks? Well, you know, when you're struggling, it's uh, to me, sometimes maybe a four shot, but it's almost like baseball where you just have a cycle where you're just, they're not falling in terms of hits getting in, you know, in between, you know, gaps or whatever. And for Tobias, you know, it was, I think, a matter of time. It was a bit of an outlier that he did struggle. And then he came back, I believe it was two weeks ago in Cleveland on a Sunday afternoon where he was like 10 of 12. And now, again, like assessing the size and ability, what I like with this guy is he just, he's 6'9". He brings the ball up. He's got a high release point. Oftentimes, he just shoots over players. That, that he's a good face-up player. In other words, you know, not maybe backing down to the basket, but able to just dribble, pull up, and score on a guy. And even in ISOs, and, and when you see a guy get a play called for him where he's got a smaller player, sometimes it can be ponderous where they're forcing it. Whereas I say, where Tobias Harris just turns around and, and shoots at a guy, and in those instances, he typically makes it. So people question, like, where's the go-to guy? Well, he's one of them, that's for sure. You know, he's going to score like 20 points per game, and there's certainly a lot to be said for that. But I think he's going to be a terrific player for the Sixers. Obviously, he's signed long-term to a very lucrative deal. Another high-character guy who's really, I think, taken on a more a broad role that he's been with the team now for the, since training camp and signing that big deal in the offseason and a part of the future for years to come. I've, of course, got to ask you about the 6'10 point guard. Two weeks ago, Tom, the Sixers crowd went nuts when Ben Simmons shot and hit that three-pointer. You're probably tired of being asked about it, but not necessarily three-pointers. Does Simmons need to take more mid-range jumpers, and when might we see more of that? Well, as far as the when, I think we're all waiting for that. But again, Chad, I watched him last night, and he was raining in corner threes, left and right, without a problem, straight up and straight down. And I talk about his shooting form not fading away. And he works in practice all the time. I watched him in pregame in New York and was shooting him from the top off the handle. So he's certainly capable. So the three-point shot, to me, it is big, but I would even put uh, more on like a 15 to 18 footer because he gets into the lane and certainly around the elbows just outside the lane. That appears to be available a lot at will because he's so good off the dribble attacking that teams have to back up. Teams play underneath him on pick and roll. And I would like him, this is just my opinion, but to square up and face the basket and shoot those shots without fading away. I mean, the fadeaway shot is needed. It's a great thing to have. 
But when you're 6'10", and you can jump like, I don't know that the fadeaway, he, he falls away. That's a difficult shot. But look, and David Fisdale, the Knicks said, when he starts shooting and taking and making those, look out because he's hard to guard. I mean, Fisdale, who coached as an assistant in Miami, compared him to LeBron. And I think we've heard and seen that before because of the size and the strength and his ability to see the floor and pass it. But there's there's very few players that can take it from one end to the other and put an imprint on the game like Simmons. And then the big thing, everyone talks about the shooting, but Brett Brown has been, you know, the number one if you will, cheerleader for Simmons as a defender. And look what he did on Saturday against Indiana with three steals in the last 13, 14 seconds and helped the Sixers win a game. Yep. And not only steals, but guarding people. And I, I think, you know, he'd been a good defender for the first two years. But last year in that playoff series where he got his Leonard, now granted, no Sixers stopped Kawhi Leonard. He had 45 points in one game and whatever he averaged, 30-plus probably in the series. But Simmons guarded him just as well as anybody. And with that size and agility and drive, he, he's a very good defender and certainly helps the Sixers in that regard also. A final question, Tom. I asked Merrill Reese a couple of years ago about his favorite visiting stadium, and he, of course, said Lambeau Field because of the history and whatnot. Do you have a favorite NBA city or arena to visit? Well, going to New York is always special just because it's the Mecca in the garden. It's, it's been a treat. I, I grew up in Illinois, so going back to Chicago is always special. And, you know, there's certain places that are more difficult, certainly over the years, with the way that our broadcast locale in some of these environments have, have changed. But honestly, I mean, obviously at our building, it's been really cool over the last few years. And when the center is rocking and people are standing and the Sixers are rocking and rolling, that's as fun as any place in the NBA. But, you know, we only go to Los Angeles, well, now twice a year. That That's always been fun. But I would say Madison Square Garden and the United Center in Chicago as far as visiting arenas. And, Tom, you obviously love what you're doing. You do a great job calling the games. Thanks for visiting with me here on Philly Press Box Radio. Great to get your insight on all things Sixers. Enjoy the rest of the season. Chet, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, Chet, I'll tell you what, man. When you when you get to talk to these guys that do this for a living, man, they're good. Yeah, Tom is great. Uh, he is a pro, as you said, very smooth. Certainly knows his stuff, gives you great insight. And, again, happy 25th year behind the mic, Tom. I just realized that the other day that uh, you've been there as long as, I guess, Mark Zumoff, who's in his 26th year now, if I'm not mistaken. Well, and, you know, you think about it, Chet, that goes back to, what, 1994. Um, there's been some some highlights during that time, but there have been a lot of lowlights during that time, too. <laughs> yeah, a lot of lowlights, boy, I'll tell you. Um, hopefully we'll see more good times than bad going forward. That's right. We need a we need a championship for for these guys. Yep. Hey, Chet, the Christmas season is upon us. Uh, we're holding a holiday sale for our Philly Press Box Radio shirts. They've been selling pretty well so far. Well, we want to sell more of them, Bill. Listen, it's the holiday season, and we all love a good sale, and this is a great one. Now through Christmas, we're selling our Philly Press Box Radio T-shirts, those that we have in stock, at our cost. The shirts are available in unisex sizes, medium through 3XL. And you can choose from regular $10 or dry fit, 12 bucks, And that's $5 off the price that we've been charging since last spring. So $10 or $12. You do have to add $2 if you need a 2XL or 3XL because they cost us more. Regular material shirts are cotton polyester. The dry fit are 100% polyester. Our green logo is on the front, and our sponsor's logos are on the back of the shirts. Choose from green, gray, or black background, and specify whether you want regular material or dry fit. If you need them shipped, 
add seven bucks for one shirt, ten dollars if you're ordering two. They do make a great gift for any Philly sports fan. Again, just ten bucks for the regular material, twelve bucks for dry fit. Uh, we do have a few red logo shirts too, in addition to the green logo ones. And a reminder: the sales limited to the shirts that we have in stock. Just message one of us, Bill or me, and we'll take care of you. So uh, get yourself a shirt. Happy holidays. That's right. Hey, Chet, let's give a shout-out to the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance of winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They've continued to run out great autograph memorabilia from all the Philly sports teams and more. There are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are 1 in 21. Pretty good odds. Check out their Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC 118 Raz Room. That's right. PPCC 118 Raz Room on Facebook. And hey, Chet, one thing I do want to tell you uh, speaking of the Raz Room, while we're waiting on Fred, a winner uh, just yesterday won a Philadelphia Eagles mini helmet signed by all five Hall of Famers Ben Eric, Van Buren, Pihos, McDonald, and Dawkins. That is not bad. That's a great uh, item. So uh, congrats to that lucky winner. Yeah, that's right. Well, hey, it's uh, Fred and Butter Fantasy Football time, as you can tell by the music. Our guru, Fred Hugo, back to break down week 14 of the season. Fred, welcome back. It's coming to an end. What's up, guys? Playoff time. <laughs> yeah, fantasy. Fred, it is, it is playoff time. We'll get your uh, tips on that. But real quick, whatever happened to that Nick Foles guy? Who? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he's on the I think he won now. a Super Bowl with the Eagles, and he'll be forever remembered as as one of the greatest stories ever in in the franchise history, and will be beloved forever, and he'll have a statue forever, and um, and he'll probably be back here as a backup quarterback in about two years. Maybe <laughs> yeah, he, won't year. a, he won't get a statue. Like I predicted, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no statue down in Jacksonville. We know that. Now, hopefully, he gets his job back, and he can. He, I hope he does well. You know, it, it just—it's the same thing. It's not his fault while they're playing so bad, it, you, and they—they pull—they point it all on him. You know, Minshew's not playing yeah. that much, not that great. You know, so right. So playoff time, Fred. So playoff time. You basically there's no waiver wire pickups because you—if you made the playoffs, you have your roster that you have in, in tail. But there are some people or matchups that are out there if maybe maybe you made it to the playoffs and you're weak at a certain position. So I figured I'd just give a couple top people that may or may not be there kind of – or matchups for that matter. So one matchup th- this week that – that now if you have a good court – let me preface this. If you already have good players in these spots, then don't don't put these players in. You know what I mean? But if you're you're weak somewhere, then this might be – helpful to you. So Sam Darnold is a guy that he has a good matchup. He tends to have a good week, then a bad week. And against the Miami Dolphins, you you typically, whether you win or lose the game, the quarterback's fantasy stats are pretty good. So I would, I would roll with him. Um, a guy on the waiver wire that the Eagles went up against the running back, um, uh, Laird, who is catching, he didn't do that great run the ball, but he, if you're in a PPR league, he gets a lot of balls out of the backfield. He's a running back you could pick up possibly and, and run as a flex. Devontae Parker, also I'm going to stay with Miami here, has been on fire the last three or four weeks. 
he's if you have him in your lineup, I'm I'm even starting him. He's a must start. And Alshon Jeffrey also looks healthy, had a great week last week, and he's going up against the Giants secondary in defense, who's they're not really good against the pass either. So I, I would I would start him if you have him. And then tight end wise, uh it, take a look at the Rams. Gerald Everett may be out again. If he's out again, Tyler Higby, I picked him up last week. I actually started him over Zach Ertz because of, of the, the hamstring. And he had like seven catches last week, 107 yards and a touchdown. So their matchup is against a team that doesn't really bear well against the tight end, the Seattle Seahawks. So that's a guy, either start Everett, pick up Everett, or look for Tyler Higby. And defensively, I don't know how the Washington Redskins scored points last week. But they're not doing it two weeks in a row. So I like the Green Bay Packers defense is on about 50% of waiver wires is a defense you could pick up and start this week. Again, if you're weak at those positions and you need to start. All right. Good stuff. We appreciate you doing that all season long. And we'll, we'll be anxious to hear what you say during the playoffs. All yeah, right. I love it. Appreciate you having me. NFC picks. Uh, Chet, how did we do last week? I feel like, we didn't do good, or I didn't do good anyway. <laughs> well, Bill, I told you it was going to happen. You've started to crack under pressure. Yeah, week 13 was tough for all of us. Fred did the best at 3-3. Three and three. That was the best. I went 2-4. and four. You, Bill, suffered through a miserable 1-5 and five weekend. Yeah, you can look it up. Yeah. So, yeah. the season standings right now find Bill and Fred tied for the top spot. Fred made up two games. So, you guys are both 32-20. and 20. I'm hanging in there just two games back at 30 and 22. So very tight still. Four weeks remaining. It's still anybody's game. All right. Well, let's get to week 14. We have Thursday night football. The Cowboys coming off their own Thanksgiving stinker. They visit the Bears. Cowboys minus three tonight. Sunday, the Redskins visit the Packers. Packers minus 13. Our bonus game, Chiefs at the Patriots. Patriots minus three in Seattle at the Rams, Seahawks minus one. And finally, Monday night football, the Eli Manning-led Giants come to the link and take on the Eagles, Eagles minus nine. So, Fred, Cowboys at the Bears, Cowboys minus three. Who you like? Um, I'm going to go with the Bears at home. I um, The Cowboys have not – well, I don't know. The Bears don't have a winning record, but the spread's pretty close. The, the Bears looked okay last week, but they're playing the Lions, so – um, I think it's going to be a close game. I, I'm going to go with the Bears at home. Yeah, I'm just going to take a flyer on the Bears, going with my heart again rather than my head, but I actually do think that they can win this one. I'm taking the Bears to beat the stinking Cowboys. Well, I'm going to take the Bears, but only because I don't want to pick the Cowboys. The Cowboys pretty much have to win this game, too. Um, but I, I'm going to go with the Bears just because uh, – We'll see where that okay. goes. Redskins, Packers, Packers minus 13. Looks easy on paper, Fred. It looked easy on paper last week, too. I know the Panthers aren't great, but the spread was around the same area. <laughs> and I, that was a huge, huge upset. But I'm, I'm going Packers. I can't see the Redskins winning two in a row. And let alone the Packers are a good team. So, Packers. Packers win the game and cover. Absolutely. I'm with you, too. Bonus game, Chiefs at Patriots. Patriots minus three. This is a good one. Yeah, Patriots coming off a loss. 
And then, but every time, and then you got, every time they face a good offense, they seem to not be able to, they're, they're the number one D, but when they face a real good offense, they don't seem to be that defense anymore. I'm going to take the Chiefs here. They also got Steve Spagnola, and he seems to work up schemes against those Patriots, and that offense isn't very good. So I'm going to go Chiefs on the road. Yeah, I still don't think the Patriots are as good as their record. I'm taking the Chiefs on the road as well. I am too, and uh, I, I don't ever go against Tom Brady or, or very often go against them, but I, I just feel like the Chiefs, um, I think Patrick Mahomes has a chance to light it up against a good Patriots defense, but I'm going Chiefs as well. Seattle at the Rams, interesting game, especially with the Rams getting ready to face the Cowboys. Seahawks minus one on the road. Yeah, close spread. The Rams haven't seemed like they got it together last week, but it was against the Arizona Cardinals. I, I don't I don't think it, they're they're it this year. I'm going to go with the Seahawks. Yeah, I think the Seahawks are the better team. I know they're on the road, but uh, I'm taking Seattle as well. Yeah, I hate this because we're all picking the same teams, but I think Seattle wins this game as well. And I sure hope uh, the Rams get tuned up. We need them to win down the road, but not they're not going to win this one. Hey guys, Finally. real quickly. Real quickly, oh, yeah. Bill, before we get to the Eagles, let's throw in one more game to make it interesting. San Francisco at New Orleans. The Saints are favored at home, minus three. Okay, yeah, that's a good one. I'm I'm riding my squad. I'm going 49ers. I think they win there that you game go. in New Orleans. I thought you would, and I'm taking New Orleans because uh, I think they're the best team in the NFC. The Saints will win this one. You're crazy. 49ers are going to win this game, and the Saints the best wow. team in the NFC? Come on. That's right. That's right. Holy cow. Okay, yeah. I'm picking up a game on you guys. You'll see. Go ahead. Uh, Giants, Eagles. Eli, well, the Eli Manning-led Giants. I know that breaks your Daniel Jones heart, Chet. <laughs> yeah, Coming right. Minus nine for the birds. How we like it? How great is this? Eli returns with a 116 and 116 career record. So we have the opportunity to bury <laughs> him with a loss and send him into retirement. With a with a losing record, I'm taking the Eagles. I think uh, I don't I don't know what I think. It's too hard to predict with them. They could win this game 12 to nine, and they could win this game 35 <laughs> to 25. I have no idea. I just think the Eagles find a way to win this game. The Bears. I, I would normally say the Giants stink, but what, we just lost to the Dolphins. Can't really be saying that. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you said 12 to 9 because I actually wrote down Eagles 11 10, just jokingly, because I have no idea what the score is going to be. But the Birds will win this game. Yeah, I, I'm going with them to win. I'm going to go 24 17, though. I, I, and, I think, and I only say that because I think it's supposed to rain. And I don't know if it's going to rain a lot, but I think Monday's calling for rain. So I'm going to play a little closer to the best on the scoring. But I think there's a chance the Eagles could light it up and score 30-plus. But who knows? Okay, so go Saints is my message here. Go Saints. Yeah, I hear you. Well, hey, Fred, real quick, before we let you go, let the listeners know how they can follow you with all the stuff you have going on. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Fred Hugo, Twitter, and Instagram, at Fred Hugo underscore. And if you're in the Delaware County area, uh, this Monday night, the Tumble Inn in Prospect Park, uh, we'll be doing a pregame show there. And I'll be there during the game as well to get a couple beers if you, if you want to stop up. So you can find me there as well. All right. Sounds good, Fred. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Go Birds. All right. Go Birds. Hey, Chet, speaking of next week, uh, 
who we have coming to Philly Press Box Radio. We'll be back on Wednesday next time. Yes. Next week, Bill, among other things, we're going to talk some Flyers hockey. We will be joined by a guy who just celebrated a birthday the other day and who has been the PA announcer for the Flyers for nearly 50 years, nearly five decades, making his third visit to the show, and he'll be on with us live, the great Lou Nolan. Oh, I can't wait for that. Always great, and uh, always great stories coming from Lou, too. Yes. All right, real quick, Mr. Chesco, we have a parting shot for you. It opened in 1895, Bill, making this the 125th year for Franklin Field. It was the site of the nation's first scoreboard, yes, in 1895, and the nation's first stadium with an upper deck of seats added in 1922. Franklin Field is the home of the Penn Quakers football team and, of course, the Penn Relays. And from 1958 through 1970, it was also home to the Philadelphia Eagles. Believe it or not, I was there only one time, October 1st, 1967. I was nine years old. Norm Sneed threw four touchdown passes, two of them to Ben Hawkins. The Eagles beat the Steelers that day, 34-24, my very first in-person pro football game. I could have sworn I remembered a plane circling Franklin Field towing a Joe Must Go banner referencing Coach Joe Q. Harrick, but supposedly that didn't happen until the following year. So maybe I'm mistaken, maybe I'm not. Uh, that following year was Q. Harrick's last when the Birds won a couple of meaningless late-season games to miss out on the chance to draft O.J. Simpson. Oh, well. I digress. Happy 125th anniversary, Franklin Field. Yep, and my first uh, place to see a pro football game as well. And actually, it's funny that you brought that up. I didn't know we were going to talk about that. But uh, I just had this conversation with my oldest son just last night. We got talking about Franklin Field and uh, how we used to get passes, me and my dad. And uh, that's that's where I grew up watching the birds. So very cool. Happy birthday, Franklin Field. Hey, Chet, real quick, only have one uh, crap we missed as we try to stick it in here at the end is uh, the Ray Dittinger, <laughs> Lenny Dykstra, Angelo Cataldi disaster this morning. Uh, and it's funny that Ray uh, told us that exact story about Dykstra owing, owing him money on our show when he, we were adding a few times. And uh, interesting how that all played out. Yeah, well, I mean, clearly Lenny's got uh, – he's he's a couple of pennies short of a dollar, let's say that. And uh, to criticize Ray Dittinger is just wrong on anybody's count. Lenny's a goofball. Don't ever call the radio station or us ever. Yeah, well, if he could call here. We're, we're, on, K, we're on Internet. We can say anything we want to. Oh, well, yeah. Wrap we'll, it up, we'll Bill. We'll get to that a little bit more, and, uh, but that, that was interesting. And I, I – I saw something that said, how is it possible to upset Ray Dittinger? Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, hey, we've reached the top of the hour. Chet, let's thank tonight's special guest, Tom McGinnis and Fred Hugo. Our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Raz Room, and Dave LaVoy of Allstate Insurance of Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chet Chesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, December 11th at 7 p.m. You can listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, or you can find our podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, and Spotify. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans, and go birds. D-N-D-L-E-N-D-L-E-N-D-L-E-N-D-L-E-N-D-L-E-N-D-L-E-N-D-L-E-N-D-L-E-N-D-L-E-N-D-L-E-N-D-L-E-N-